Well, wonderful. Take your Bibles with me and turn to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Everyone in the back, can you hear me? Oh, good. Perfect. I'm just going to shout this morning. We're going to go that route. Matthew chapter 5 this morning. We've been studying together the Sermon on the Mount for several weeks now. Uh, we spent the bulk of our time in the Beatitudes thinking about, uh, thinking about these blessing statements that Jesus gives to his disciples in verses 2 through 11 or 12. But last week we, we stopped, we, we moved away from those blessing statements and we moved into Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16. So look with me there. We're going to read right there verses 13 through 16 in Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to consider the second statement that Jesus makes here. You are the light of the world. So read this with me. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So last week, as we looked at verse 13, and we thought about the salt of the earth, we thought about the things that Jesus said to his disciples here, these two statements, you are the salt of the earth and then you are the light of the world is what we're going to look at this morning. But last week when we considered salt of the earth, we, we see that in order to follow Jesus, we must live an identity as one that has been preserving and purifying and has that effect on the world. The world that we live in is being broken down, it's being beat up, it's being, it's being busted by sin and sin's corruption. And the way that preservation and purification happens in the world, the way that that takes shape and the way that that looks, is by faithful obedience by the people of God, by those who are in Christ, proclaiming verbally and living lives that are in direct obedience to what God gives us, to us in His Word. So as we looked at that passage, this means what this results in for, for us. It results in hardship. It results in difficulty. It results in the fact that uh, the bearer of the message stings. It comes to the world, this message, it stings and the wounds that the sin has opened up on, on the world. And despite this pain, though, it is a temporary reality. That is where our hope lies, right? Right now, the here and now, what we experience here on this earth is temporary. It's not lasting. It's not going to last forever. It will dissolve into something far greater, right relationship with God in His presence for all of eternity. And that's why we put our hope in Jesus. But in the meantime, the message has been granted to us. Take it to the world. Give it to those who, who desperately need to hear it. And then Jesus, he, in the, at the end of verse 13, He warns against losing saltiness. Often the posture of the Christian community, we think about this a lot, the posture of the Christian community is to remove some of that sting. To say, hey, the world that, we're, that we live in, it doesn't like this message, so we're going to reduce the blow of this a bit and by, by taking the edges off. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He doesn't say, you are the honey. The message doesn't allow us to apply how we buy baked beans or a couch or a car. It doesn't allow us to apply that mentality to the way that we approach the world. 
and makes it no longer about personal preference or the pursuit of happiness, but joyful submission to the King of Kings, to a God who is altogether good and gracious, is gracious and has snatched us out of this headlong direction that we were moving in order to uh, recreate us, to give us right relationship with Him in the way that was intended. So Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see this throughout our time together in the Sermon on the Mount, He wants us here to know that a dramatic and miraculous intervention is taking place through His earthly ministry. This is happening, this is happening in a dramatic, miraculous way. And His undisputed victory over the grave, it was coming. And it was proclaiming a truth to the world that He was the only way to the Father. And friends, if we can truly meditate on God's goodness to us, shown to us in Christ Jesus, we're going to do that today as we celebrate baptism together. We're going to, we're going to meditate on God's goodness to us by seeing people go under the water, by seeing them be buried with Jesus, dying to self, and being raised up to walk in newness of life. That's what baptism is. And that's what we're doing today. We're going to do that today. If we can see God's goodness clearly shown to us in Christ Jesus, how can we walk away? How can we walk out of here and not be a transformed people? It's a rhetorical question, but think about it. If you can clearly perceive and see and understand and know God's goodness shown to you in Christ Jesus, how can you not move away changed? can't continue doing the same things day to day. And that's what Jesus is saying. So when he gives us this laundry list of things that says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the more, those who mourn, blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted for righteousness' sake. If, if those words don't go in your ear and you think to yourself, that is ridiculous. And well, if I'm to live these things out, then I need to experience dramatic change and dramatic transformation in my life. This garbage that I'm doing on my day-to-day, -day, I can't continue to do. I can't continue to be focused on self. I can't continue to be focused on money and material and power and getting my way and treating human relationships like buying baked beans or a car or a couch. Where we are discussing the merits of interacting with other individuals. We're saying, how is it that I, I, can, I, I can interact with this individual? There are the pros and cons of spending time with this person. This is not how Jesus approaches his disciples. Jesus admits to his followers that they cannot, that there must be a marked change. And the salt of the earth is distinct to the world. It's different. It looks weird. It looks upside down. It looks bizarre. It cannot continue on in the way that it was. The trajectory that it was on must be altered. This is what Jesus is saying. The salt of the earth, distinct from the world, different. If it looks like the rest of the world and its pursuit of pleasureness and happiness is the highest good, the, the largest aim, the most important thing in the day-to-day, -day, then it would mopes around when it doesn't get its way and it wonders why life is so hard all the time. It's lost its saltiness. These are markers of the world and the way that the world approaches life. Friends, we have an unprecedented reason to rejoice. And I'm yelling at you, but smile. You have an unprecedented reason to rejoice because Christ Jesus, the King of all creation, came into the world, died, rose again so that you could spend eternity with Him. Amen. This, is, this is the reality. This is what we're marked by. And, and we look like the world when we stand around and we complain and we, we, we think about the things that are coming tomorrow and we're anxious about them. 
we think about how in the world are, am I going to get from moment to moment, day to day, and do this and do that, and go from here to there, and do all of these things. When God has said, I've taken care of all of that, of that, and not only have I taken care of all of that, I've taken care of your entire eternity. So, Buffalo City, I know we have a lot of visitors this morning, so you're probably like, why is this guy yelling at me right away? But Buffalo City Church, if you've identified with Buffalo City Church, if you, if you call this your church home, I'm speaking to you directly here. Right? We are called to be distinctive. Well, we cannot lose our saltiness. This is what we talked about last week. We cannot lose, is this going to take us into you are the light of the world? This, we cannot lose our saltiness. If you prefer to grumble about this or that because it makes you feel better, the logistics about how we organize or the way that we do this or that or the people that you interact with in your community group because you don't like the way that they look or the way that they act or the way that they do this or they raise their kids or whatever it is, the eccentricities of people who make up our faith family, then we've lost our saltiness because we just look like every other human organization on the face of planet Earth. Amen. But we are marked by something far greater than that, something supernatural. The Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells inside of us. And we are called to love one another and encourage one another, spur one another on to loving good works and do that with regularity and consistency. It doesn't matter what you background you come from, where you come from, how you got here. What matters is that you're here and that you're marked with the Spirit of Christ. So the church, largely, in our culture, suffers from this inability to impact our culture because of the fact that it looks too much like the world. Many people who attend our churches in, across our country, across our globe, um, and maybe this is you here this morning too, maybe you need to hear this this morning, are indistinct from the world. They look exactly like the world in the way that they interact with each other, the way that they think about the things that they're doing regularly. And I would submit to you that the church isn't failing. The church is not failing to impact our culture because of smoke and light shows, because of man-centered sermons, because of, because of multi-million dollar facilities. Those things certainly don't help. But I would say that the church in our culture is failing to impact our culture because it has nothing that makes it distinct. That it has nothing that makes it distinct. Mainly the people. They treat their brothers and sisters like a can of baked beans, a car, or a couch. And they discuss the merits of interacting with them regularly. They discuss what, it, what, it, what makes their life better. They're quick to discard that person like moldy leftovers. They shy away from salting the wounds of the world with an unpopular message. And rather they excuse all sorts of behavior because it could be hard to say and a hard thing to do. So there's a warning here for us, right? There's a warning here in verse 13. Big warning. We should, if, if you highlight or underline in your Bible, underline this verse and write something along this on the side. This is going to carry us into our passage. When we grumble about other people, when we elevate our desires and our need for this or that or the other thing over, uh, over the others' needs and others' interests, we sat down on the tracks and accepted that the train is coming. We sat down on the tracks and accepted that the train is coming and it's going to wipe us off the face of the earth. And not that this is important. Not, not that we're not going to gather anymore or be a people who meet here in the Civic Center at Jamestown, North Dakota every week. But we will wipe our purpose off the face of the earth. 
they'll wipe our mission off the face of the earth. If we say we are indistinct from the world, if we look like the rest of the world, if we do things the way that the world does, if we grumble and complain against one another, if we do not treat each other the way with, with an increasing respect, understanding that even our human relationships and everything that we do here on this earth goes out of the understanding that God has made a way for us in Christ Jesus, we will be indistinct from the world and we will be trampled underfoot like Jesus says to his disciples. So, moving then to verse 14, the phrase, you are the light of the world. These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves moving into this. Do we together, this is the question we just asked, do we together look different from the world? Are we here this morning to fulfill some obligation? Are we? Buffalo City Church family, are we here this morning to fulfill some obligation? Are we, are we here because we like the music, we like the preaching, probably not the preaching. Do you like the social aspects of being here? As soon as we walk out of here, we're thinking about ourselves and our interests and seeing these people next week, or maybe, or maybe we'll just sleep in. May the grace, may, may the grace of God compel us to move out of this place and think dramatically about others, to put others' needs, desires, interests above the needs, desires, our interests that we have in our own, our own heart. This is what it means to be different. This is what Jesus says it means to be distinct. It's strange. It's set apart. This is holiness. This is what it means practically to be holy in a world that says, think about yourself, love yourself, know yourself, exist for yourself. And so when Jesus then gets to this idea, you are the light of the world, he calls his disciples he identifies, he tells them, this is your identity. You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And remember this quote that I gave you last week, this is from Helmut Thielich. Or Tillich, I don't know, it's German. Salt and light have one thing in common, they give and expend themselves, and thus they are opposite of every kind of self-centered religiosity. So there are three things I think that we can glean from the idea that Jesus, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. I think there are three things. One, exposure, or the idea of what we say past tense, expose. Two, expended. And three, extinguish. And these three ideas are contained here in what Jesus says when he says, you are the light of the world. So exposure, or being exposed. Light exposes things, right? If you turn off the lights in here, it's all going to be a little bit harder to see. And light in particular exposes imperfections in our world. Imperfections. So, you know, like, put up a wall recently, sheetrock, mud, tape, all of that good stuff. Not necessarily in that order. Um, and, and then as soon as the light hits it, I see, I see, oh, I missed a spot. Or there's an imperfection here. Right? The light begins to expose the imperfections and the things that are around us. And in particular, Jesus is saying, the world. We take the sun into a bright light, or how we can see so much clearly the composition, the imperfections, and so on of the of the world around us. And so this is the role of the believer. This is the role of the one who is in Christ to step into a world that is in darkness and expose the difficulties, expose the things, and to expose the, the imperfections and the sin that is that is decaying and breaking down the world. To expose the true state of the world is the role of the disciple. The world is in darkness. It does not see itself clearly. The world does not look at itself and make a proper self-assessment. 
That is what we do. That is why we exist. That is the mission God has placed us on. It is unable to make a, a clear analysis of, of about its current state, the world that is. Its makeup and its imperfections, it cannot be perceived because it's in darkness. But the disciple walks in and calls attention to the world's twisted state. Walks in by the way that it speaks and the way that it uh, lives. It calls attention to the world's twisted state. The disciple exposes the world for what it is. An entity corrupted by sin, rotten, and decomposing. So two questions then that we have to ask ourselves coming out of that idea. What is the light that's contained within the disciple? What is the light that is contained within the disciple? I think Jesus makes it very clear. He says, let your light shine so that they may see your good works. Good works are the light. Paul writes the, the church in Ephesus. This is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Incredibly popular passage. This is just the gospel that, that, that Paul speaks clearly to his hearers or to his readers. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. What for? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship. We're his product. We are a new creation as disciples, as those who have been set apart. And he gives, he gives us a purpose, a, sh a light to shine in the world. And that light is those good works, the works that don't save us, but the works that demonstrate what has been done, what has taken place in us. Because these works are prepared for us by him to walk in. So these good works then, these are the things that the disciple does as an outflow or an overflow of the transforming impact of the gospel. Right? This is, the, this is Paul's argument. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing, gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, we've got to keep that in there, for we are his workmanship. Therefore, since you have received grace through faith, this is not your own doing, but therefore, since you've received grace through faith, you are now His workmanship, created for a purpose, to let your light shine, to show your good works before men. This is what it means. What does that look like? Second question. Well, you know, this is a follow-up question. What, is that, what does that look like? It looks like humility. It looks like the things that we discussed in the Beatitudes. It looks like humility. It looks like... It looks like sadness or, or mourning over sin and its effects. It looks like willingness to act to reduce sin's effects on our world. It looks like a desire to live God-honoring lives. It looks like an undivided affection for God and an undivided attention on Him. A desire to see other people uh, have peace with God by believing the truth of the gospel it looks like not demanding our own rights, but quietly enduring in the face of suffering. To sum up, what are all these things? To love neighbor. To love our neighbor. So the first question then, what is the light that is contained within the disciple? How does it show in the world that is the good works that God has prepared beforehand in Christ Jesus? But where does this light come from? Where does, where does this light come from? It's implicit here what we just discussed. In short, this light comes from Jesus. We are reflections of Him, and because He said He is the light of the world, 
John 8, 12 says this. John records this. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 9, 4 and 5, he says this. We must work the works of him who sent me. Well, it is day. Night is coming. When no one can work. As long as I am the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. John Stott writes this. The world will inevitably recognize that it is by grace of God that we are what we are. That our light is His light. And that our works are His works done in us and through us. His works are, our, or our works are His works done in and through us through us. So that, that then takes us to the next idea. This is the idea of exposure. The next idea, the next idea is being expended. And here's where this idea gets tricky, if it hasn't already gotten tricky. This is where it begins to get tricky. Light, okay, back up. To be the light of the world is to give yourself entirely to the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we walk in them. To be the light of the world is to, let me say that again, to be the light of the world is to give yourself entirely to the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. No days off, no vacations, you don't get to set this aside, you live with these things always in view. I'm not talking about no days off, like you can't take days off of work. I'm talking about you can't take a vacation. What I'm saying is that this identity doesn't fluctuate with wherever you sit in your world during your day-to-day -day life. This idea is consistent, constant. You don't get to set this aside uh, when you do take a vacation or when you do take a day off from work. It is still your identity. These good works have been granted to you in Christ Jesus that you might live them out every single moment of every single day. And that's a high cost, right? There's a high cost associated with that. But friends, there is no cost too great to live like this. Our response is to a God who has freely given us all things in Christ Jesus. Again, if you're being transformed by the Word of God and His clear picture of Christ's sacrifice, we see Jesus expending Himself in His earthly life and ministry. We see Him expending Himself in His earthly life and ministry. Two reasons He could do this. One, he was saturated in the Word of God. Well, he was the Word of God. Right? John, John 1 tells us the Word took on flesh and dwells among us. He is the Word of God. He is saturated in the Word of God. And he retreated regularly. We see this clearly in the Gospel of Luke. He retreated regularly to pray. And so if we need to take our cues from that. If we don't give ourselves to these two things, the Word of God and prayer regularly, we're going to be expended we're going to, that expenditure is going to be overwhelming for us, and we're going to long to take that vacation from the identity that God has given us. We're going to long to take that day off from the identity that God has given us. A, a lamp in the ancient world, right? A lamp was made up of two really important components. One, the fuel, the oil, right? And then there was a wick. And the wick both needed to be attended to regularly. The oil needed to be refilled, Right? But we see that. That's a word of God. That's prayer. That's the understanding, the filling, the, the fuel for the disciples' day-to-day -day life. And then there was a wick. And that needed to be trimmed regularly. There needed to be constant understanding of one's sin, confession, repentance, turning away, moving away from that sin. There needed to be a constant understanding that there are harmful practices that we engage in regularly. 
because we still inhabit a body of flesh. Here on this earth, we still inhabit a body of flesh. We need to turn from those things, move away from them. We need to trim the way. This is the idea of expending yourself for God's glory, for the good works that God has set before you. The goal of this expenditure, what is it? What is the goal of this expenditure? Jesus tells us clearly in verse 16 that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The aim is to glorify God. The aim is to glorify God. The aim is to be filled and trimmed and filled and trimmed over and over and over and over and over and over again, filled with Him, trimmed of ourselves, and watch others and give, watch others demonstrate to God uh, the glory that He deserves. So then, extinguished. Extinguished. Jesus gives a clear warning, right? Just like salt. Just like salt that can be trampled under feet. Look at verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. Just like salt can become tasteless, this is a matter of usefulness. This is a matter of utility. Jesus is saying that there is this element that we need to consider that if we lose something here, if we put the light under the basket we use, lose the usefulness that He has for us. We are meant to illuminate darkness and to do so constantly. We are meant to be a city on a hill. We are not meant to be hidden. And again, the ancient world, a lamp would, not, would go on a stand to give light to the whole house. It would, Jesus says this. It would go on a stand to give light to the whole house. It was not something to be set aside. We have like a million different lights in our homes probably have one or maybe two if they were wealthy. But right in the middle, right on a stand, illuminate the whole, the whole house. The disciple, then, who covers up his or her witnessing witness by refusing to proclaim the truth of the gospel verbally or by living life that is alive with the gospel, fails to illuminate anything and has failed to recognize his or her God-given, God blood-bought, Christ-ordained and Christ-modeled identity. Jesus said that this lamp goes on the stand. Charles Quarles, he writes this. The placement of the lamp in the lampstand symbolizes the disciples' relation or responsibility of maximizing their ministry, living in such a way as to shine their light, as the, shine their light the farthest and to impact the greatest number of people. A lamp under a basket cannot exercise this. It does the exact opposite. So the question, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is the question that we need to ask ourselves as we look here. Are we ashamed of the gospel? Because if you are, your light goes under a basket. Am I ashamed of the truth of the gospel? Am I ashamed of proclaiming it regularly, both verbally and with my life? And you say, well, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Let's do a fact check. Here's the litmus test. Here's the limit says, are you aware of opportunities to proclaim the truth of the gospel and to live it out? Are you aware of those opportunities to do that? This is the, this is the fact check. Are you aware of opportunities to speak truth of the gospel into the darkness? If you can't think of many situations where you saw an opportunity to be the light of the world, I would submit to you that you're ashamed of the gospel. 
you need to really wrestle with that and consider the fact that you might be ashamed of the gospel if you don't see opportunities to, to demonstrate the light of the world. The light of the world illuminates everything and it shows us the sheer brokenness of the world. The gospel is shameful to you if you see no usefulness for it and set it under a basket. So conclusion then. Actually, let's wrap this up. What are we thinking? The call is clear, I think, this morning from this text. Verses 14 through 16. I think the call is clear. Live and speak like those you are. The light of the world. The call is clear to know the gospel. To live in light of it. To speak it regularly. The world desperately needs light. They desperately need to see their sinful state and to understand and know that redemption and reconciliation is possible through the person and work of Christ. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, Christian people, you and I are living in the midst of men and women who are in a state of gross darkness. They will never have any light anywhere in this world except from you and from me the gospel we believe and teach. They are watching us to lead them and to come to them. Oh, I'm sorry. They are watching us. Do they see something different about us? Are our lives a silent rebuke to them? Do we so lie as to lead them to come and ask us, why do you always look so peaceful? How is it you are so balanced? How can you stand up there? How can you stand up to the things that you do? Why is it you are not dependent upon artificial aids and pleasures as we are? What is this thing that you have got? If they do, we can then tell them that the wondrous, amazing, but tragically neglected news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and to give men a new nature and a new life and to make them children of God. Christian people alone are the light of the world today. Let us live and function as children of light. So it is absolutely necessary to continue the theme from last week. It is absolutely necessary to be distinguishable from the world. If we're always anxious, if we're always shrinking at responsibility, if we're always uncommitted to others and unfaithful to our word, if we're dependent on material and money for our happiness, then we have shrinked away, we become indistinguishable from the world, we have become indistinct from the world, we become the same as the world, and we are not the light of the world. We put the lamp under a basket. So what does that mean? What, what, what am I talking about? Like practically, what does that mean? I think there's a couple of things, three things. What, the last one we've hit on a little bit already. But three things in particular, practical takeaways. First is this. This is hard for us to hear. Invest in the local church. Invest in the local church. And not, not Buffalo City Church, the name, but the people who are involved here. Invest in them. So, one, this requires our presence. We need to be around and together regularly, meeting together as the people of God. We need to be doing that in the Sunday morning context and elsewhere throughout the course of the week. Why should we invest in the people in the local church? Of to invest heavily in the lives of others is to be different, is to be distinct. The world treats relationships like a consumeristic activity. It treats relationships like cans of baked beans and cars and, and couches. To treat others and to understand that we can invest in brothers and sisters and to love one another in a dramatic way here in this context 
is to reject what the world is selling and to buy God's truth. It sheds light on the world's greatest need, too, to remove themselves from the throne and to acknowledge the one true king, that's Jesus. And so, like, here at Buffalo City Church, if you're visiting or if you've been with us forever, we don't have a lot of, like, programs and activities that happen throughout the course of the week. And as those things are bad or that they shouldn't happen. But a lot of times what we do is we look at the organized activities that we do throughout the course of our week, um, and we neglect to find a human a human with an eternal soul to build into, to spend time with. And we're watching, like, we're thinking, and like, a lot of times we see that we have like, this time on our hands, we're not quite sure what to do, so we go out from these walls and we find other organizations and activities to plug into. That's great. Go share the gospel in those places. Speak the truth of who Jesus is where you find yourself all of the time. But, so just confession time. It's just like, that's my tendency then when I need, what I think of is like a pastor is where I need to do something additional. We need to keep, we need to have some structured organization or activities for, for everyone to participate in. But I think more than that, more than an activities quarter, coordinator, we need a shepherd. Like we need to be pointing to the fact that God has granted us and life in Christ Jesus, and that we need to be investing in the lives of those who are around us. And so we need to hear this very clearly. The human soul is eternal. It will continue on in the presence of God for an eternity or in eternal damnation separated from God. So you don't need the leadership of this church. You don't need to organize an activity or, a, a, or, a, or an organization. What you need to do is to understand that we together need to take time to invest in people. Invest in the people of Buffalo City Church. That means dying to self, seeing their needs as greater than our own. You think the world won't see that? That is completely different from the orientation that the world has and the way that they view and perceive everything. It is inconvenient and a waste of time from the world's perspective to invite others into our homes and to spend time with them. It's a waste of time. We need to set aside that mindset. No more cans of baked beans, no more couches, no more cars. The way that we view our relationship need to be others-oriented, others-first. Loving brothers and sisters who are involved together in the local church. And that flows through sort of the second idea that we need to know what we truly have in common. This will break down social barriers in, in, in our church. We have social barriers. We're small. We have social barriers. You're going to call it out. We do. These exist here. Even the way we mix it up this morning, so we're like distributed a little bit different. But like I stand up here and I look how, how people are distributed. We're distributed by age. We're distributed by socioeconomic class. We're distributed by the, 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 the by introverts from extroverts. We like give you like little pockets of people. I know, I know where you sit. I know the people that you flock to. Birds of a feather flock together. For sure that happens. But it's the grace of God that we've received in Christ. And the call to live out our identity in Him. That is the only thing that we have in common. It's the only thing that we have in common. We proclaim the gospel. It isn't just for the rich or the poor, the educated, the uneducated, the old or the young, the Jew or the Greek. It's for all people, for all of time. So, practically, have somebody over for dinner who's not in your age bracket. 
Get to know someone who isn't as well off financially as you are. Stop thinking, what can I get out of this relationship? And start thinking, what can I give? How can I be a blessing? The gospel is for all people. Our identity in Christ is what we have in common. The only thing that we have in common is Christ, Jesus. It's going to break down these barriers. It's going to break down social barriers. It's going to break down the idea that you don't have anything with common with someone who looks different than you. So then finally, this is where we'll end. Start praying and looking for opportunities to reflect Jesus. Like we talked about earlier, this is the litmus test for us. We see opportunities that we have in our day-to-day to be the light of the world, to live out this God-given identity that we have in Christ. We see those opportunities. We see people hurting. We see people who need to hear the truth of the gospel regularly. The fact of the matter is, if you open your eyes, yes. The answer is yes. You will see those things and you'll see them very clearly. We need to start praying as a body that we would be the light of the world, that we would demonstrate to the world the things that, that the world clearly needs to see that it's broken down, that it's rotting, that it's decaying, that it's sin has had its devastating effects on the world, that we need to walk out there and show the world that, and that there is a way to move beyond that into the presence of God for an eternity. So this is what we're doing together. As the light of the world, we together, all of us, this isn't just super Christians or church leadership or whatever. We are all the light of the world if we're in Christ. We don't have opportunities to set this aside. We don't take vacations or days off from this. The light of the world is always your God-given, blood-bought identity. And so as we move out from here, ask these questions to yourself. Am I investing in the local church? Are we investing in people in particular in the local church? People that may look different from me. Do I recognize that what we have in common is Christ first and not our love for motorcycles and, and, and whatever it is, pork chops? <laughs> and then finally, start praying and looking for opportunities. Start praying and looking for opportunities in your world to be the light of the world, to demonstrate to others the good news of who Jesus is. We're going to do that this just now. We're done singing. We're going to sing one more song. We're going to wrap up. We're just going to plow out to the reservoir and we're going to do these baptisms. What we're going to do is we're going to proclaim the light of the fact that we're the light of the world. We're going to say the goodness of God demonstrated to us in Christ it's something that we can't hide. It's something that we can't put under a basket. It's incredibly important. Let's pray.